Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here. Walk on your Liverpool podcast from the Athletic. We're back. Has much been going on since we've been away? We'll get into the Reds' summer dealings so far, ask whether Jordan Henderson's Liverpool legacy is tarnished forever, and try and figure out what work Klopp needs to do to get through to the new season. To do all that, we have James Pearce, Sam Hughes, and Kiefer O'Neill. And as usual, it's those three words. The three words are back. Kiefer. I know you love those three words. You've missed them all summer, haven't you? Are we back? Are we back? I think those have been my three words. <laughs> That's a good question. It really is. Simon. I am tired. I'm very <laughs> tired. <laughs> yeah, that's been exhausting, hasn't it, this summer? I mean, it's one of the... We, we, we said for weeks and weeks before the end of the season that this would be one of the biggest windows in Liverpool's history. And it's turned out to be... Well, James, give us three words. Tell us what it turns out to be. Saudis creating mayhem. I couldn't have put it better myself. Well, over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group, David Bracey said, need more players? I agree. Raphael Reiter, defence needs reinforcements? Well, yeah. John Selden, panic stations, everyone? I wouldn't go that far. And Lewis Cotton, Hendo sellouts? Yeah, I suppose that goes that. Uh... I was going to say disappointment from the captain. A disappointing captain, I'd say. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Well, Jordan Henderson, a Liverpool legacy tainted. He was criticised by so many people for so long and so unfairly. And now, you know, we've got a proper stick to beat him, haven't we, Kiva? Well, I guess it's... There's two sides to it, isn't there? And there's a football side and then a side away from that. And the football side, I guess, you know, each fan's got their own take on it and whether his legacy has been tainted or not will be up to each person to decide. Obviously, it's a Liverpool captain who won the Premier League, the Champions League, was obviously captain in three Champions League finals as well. And, you know, was such a big driving force of the two words I've used for him a lot recently because... That's what I feel like he was for Liverpool for such a long time. And he kind of represented the fan base as sort of, I don't know, in a way, like, are the best players not the ones that come out of some kind of turmoil to become, you know, a fan favourite? You think of, like, Lucas Lever or someone like that, you know, to become, like, this cult hero. But then it wasn't even just the cult hero thing. It was, like, actual good football, and particularly in that title-winning season. I thought he was among the best players and was obviously voted that, wasn't he, at the end of that season. But there's so much to it, so much more than that. I mean, Keith, you wrote a brilliant piece on it last week. And he, during the pandemic, he stood up. He stood up for, you know, hungry children. During, you know, he, he's, he's made a, a huge point of his kinship with LGBTQ people. And then he goes to Saudi Arabia. That's, I mean, that's just... It's almost a betrayal of everything he's stood for. Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're an ally for something, then you're an ally for life. You can't be a part-time ally. And as much as the focus has been on Jordan Henderson, <clears throat> excuse me, that's because he has been such a good ally for the LGBTQ plus community. He stood up when, you know, not a lot of other players have. And he was there to say, you know, 
I'm with you. I support you. Isn't this awful that like you feel like you can't go to the match or whatever it is? You know, he sort of stood alongside people like me and made us feel, you know, more accepted, more comfortable in these kinds of environments. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And then to sort of do a U-turn and backtrack on those beliefs, then it leads you to think, well, how much did he believe in them himself, you know, to go to a country where obviously it's criminalised to be homosexual, to be in a same-sex relationship. So, you know, it's. I think that's where a lot of fans of, you know, both um, in the community and allies of it have found it difficult because it's, it's Jordan Henderson and it just doesn't feel like he was the kind of person to sign up to it, I guess, and to want to go there. And I think that's, you know, there's been a lot of head scratching over the past couple of weeks, but I guess, you know, they say, uh, don't ever meet your heroes, do they? So, Simon, I mean, obviously the counter arguments are simple. I remember going to China to see Rafa Benitez when he was at Dalian. And I said, why are you here? And he just said, money. Simple as that. He said, they're paying me a million pounds a month. He said, and the thing is, he said, I'm a rich man. He said, but this means me children will be rich. Probably their children will be rich. And it'll, you know, it'll make a huge difference down the generations. And I get all that. Actually, it didn't turn out to be like that because COVID come along and cut it short. Um, and you never know what's going to come up and bite you in the backside. But, that's the counter argument, and I can see that. But as Liverpool fans, we 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 regard the club as something more. Are we wrong to do that? No, I think um, the club should be held to high standards. Whether it, you know, it sounds a bit of a cliche and a bit of mush, but it isn't just about the football, isn't it? Liverpool. I think when you you sort of boil down people's emotions to particularly locally, you know, it, it represents the city and the beliefs of. The city of Liverpool. Now, I'm not saying everything's perfect in Liverpool because it isn't. I think sometimes we romanticise how how we feel about the city and our impressions of the city. But I think this sort of decision strikes against a prevailing feeling of the match-going fan base. I, I would say. Um, I mean, I've, I've heard people say it's a, it's a life-changing sum of money, and there's been a lot of debate around that. And I mean, I guess it's only a life-changing sum of money if he wants to return from Saudi Arabia and buy Sunderland and. Three or four years' time, if that's where his ambitions are. But to, to the I mean, that's the whole region. You mean not just the club? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it, yeah. I mean, it, it, I think that you asked the question before about does is his legacy tarnished? When well, history I think tends to only remember people for the worst mistakes. And unfortunately for Jordan Anderson, I think this will is is roundly viewed as a mistake. And there's no real way of recovering that mistake because he's at the back end of his career as well. So, I mean, it's sort of, the reaction to it has been of sort of Don Revy proportions, hasn't it? You know, walking out on England, which I guess you could say, well, Jordan Henderson could be walking out on his England career less than 12 months before a European uh, Championships as well. So there's, there's the only benefit that I can see from this at all, on any level, is the amount of money that he's going to earn because... You know, the level of football isn't going to be anywhere near what he's used to. You know, the living conditions, um, he might live in a villa somewhere. Um, it's life changing for his, you know, if his wife and children go out there because, you know, there's certain limitations what women can do in, in Saudi Arabia. So certainly life changing for them if, if they want to walk down the street and hold hands. 
I, I just think I, I do wonder whether he he was as knowledgeable about what he was supposedly standing for as he as he as he made out at the time. But there's a level of duplicity there as well, I, I think. So it's just not good on it on any level apart from you know the amount of wealth he will accrue while he's there, which is a mind-boggling sum of money for for somebody who's coming towards the back end of the career. I think as well on a football level, you know, it, it's it's become a unnecessary distraction throughout for Liverpool's preseason. It brings into question is that good captaincy there as well. So, yeah, dis- a disappointing end to somebody who, in my view, in normal any normal circumstance, should have had a hero's departure. Yeah, grim, really, Tony. I just find the whole thing a bit grim, a bit sad. I, you know, in ten years' time, is the Saudi league going to be? You know what it is promising to be now. I, I don't know if, if Saudi, the Saudi Arabian Football League, becomes one of the leading football leagues in the world. Then the, the, the sort of sports washing campaign will have worked, and maybe people will just forget about Jordan Henderson's role in this. But he, I think it will. It should be written in the future that he was obviously. It should be recognised that he was the first English player, senior English player, to decide to leave. Yeah, and James, part of me. You know, part of me understands it. And and the other part of me hopes that, I mean, when Lewis Hamilton went to race there, he took a lot of criticism. And it bothers me that sportsmen and women, you know, have to take on the moral burdens that other people didn't. The great thing about Lewis Hamilton, he subverted it all by wearing a rainbow helmet. He could make a stance. But Hamilton was forced to go there because F1 decided to, you know, make that one of the venues. And um, he, he didn't have much choice other than to sit it out, which he couldn't really do. But Henderson has made the choice of his own bat for no other reason and money. Come on, you're often the same person here amongst us, like, lunatics. What's your view on it? Um, yeah, I think both the timing of it and his destination of choice leaves a, a really sour taste. I think, as Simon said, you know, it's disruptive. You know, the fact we're, we're sat here less than three weeks before Liverpool's opening Premier League game and we're still awaiting the, the confirmation and the paperwork to go through for the captain of 12 years to leave the club. And, you know, certainly when you rewind, what, two, three weeks to the start of pre-season, you know, people at Liverpool were saying, you know, we're in great shape, you know, acted swiftly and decisively getting McAllister and Zabozlai deals over the line. You know, the priorities have been addressed, you know, were all set for the start of pre-season. They didn't, no one anticipated this. You know, when when Steven Gerrard first got the job over there, you know, you think, well, he's he's bound to ask Henderson. I think that was inevitable because, you know, why why wouldn't you if you've got this huge resource and you're trying to build a team who 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 better in terms of trying to find a leader to be the the spearhead for it but yeah the initial feedback i had and which kind of backed up what i thought would be the answer was no no you know that's, that's that wouldn't happen yet the reality is that the numbers got so crazy that his head was turned and and it is different you can't get away from the fact that it's different to other players that have gone there because of the moral stance that jordan henderson had taken you can't have it both ways you can't be you know, praised for, you know, for, for the support he's done for those campaigns and, you know, reading back through some of his comments previously, you know, saying, you know, standing shoulder to shoulder with the LGBTQ plus community. You can't say things like that and be that, you know, that this guy that's universally respected and lauded and, and then take this decision and expect not to be accused of massive hypocrisy and betrayal. So yeah, he's had to weigh everything up. We, we know that, you know, the Gerard factor 
would have come into it. Also, I think the football perspective, you know, he, he will have known he wouldn't have been a guaranteed starter this season. With, with McAllister and Zobberslai through the door, and we know Liverpool likely to bring in at least one more midfielder. But yeah, we, you can't get away from the fact it's, it's the money, isn't it? It's four times, I was told, is in terms of take home salary, four times what he's on at Liverpool. And yeah, I find it all really disappointing. And also the fact that, you know, it's just such a, such a poor way to bow out. You know, one of, you know, one of the icons of the club, you know, one of only five men ever to, you know, to lift the European Cup as captain, you know, the, the man who lifted the you know, the Premier League trophy after that 30-year wait, to go out the back door like this to a football in backwater at the age of 33 doesn't, doesn't sit right with me. No, no, it certainly doesn't. It really has cast a cloud over the entire summer, as far as I'm concerned. This is Walk On, your Liverpool podcast, brought to you by The Athletic. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Tony Evans here with Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Here with James Pearce, Keith O'Neill and Simon News. Well, I've got to say, on, under normal circumstances, if Liverpool would have got a fee for Jordan Henderson this summer, and it wouldn't have been Saudi Arabia, well, part of me would have been happy. I would have thought, you know, he's 33, the time's probably right. Let's give him a proper send-off and give him some of the love that we give to Firmino. And, I mean... In pure football in terms, we can't just say pure football in terms, can we? But, you know, would it, under normal circumstances, Kiva, been the right time for him to leave? I think, yeah, like looking into it and sort of, it did come as a shock still though that he might leave and then now looks like he is leaving. And I think you kind of like grapple with that a little bit and think, you know, is this the right time? Because obviously he's 33 now. I kind of expected him to take on a bit of a James Milner role as in just sort of fill in here and there and probably, you know, have a good run of games at some point in the season. And it's just weirdly, I guess, the captain on the bench at times, which I don't know if that's a good thing, actually thinking into it. I think you need your leader out there on the pitch, the one who's, you know, captain in the team. I think he probably would have, you know, found himself beginning sort of to be transitioned and phased out anyway, Um, obviously with McAllister and Sober Sly, Signing and then, you know, players like Curtis Jones and, you know, by Chetich and, and others sort of their rise continuing. You know, probably would have seen Jordan Henson get less minutes next season. But whether you wanted to lose that that sort of figurehead at the club and all that experience and the wealth of it that he has got, I don't know. You know, there's obviously a big question there. I think if it, like you say, if it had been to anywhere else and it just happened, if, if a move had just happened quickly as well, maybe you would have just kind of gone, yeah, kind of makes sense. You know, Liverpool have got some money that they probably weren't expecting to get. Henderson's, you know, gone to pastures new and um, Liverpool can focus on themselves. So I think there's a few different sides to it, isn't there? And I think 
now it sort of leaves Liverpool in a weird place with obviously Fabinho and everything else and who they do sign and how likely that looks if more midfielders are to join this summer. It also leaves a huge leadership void, doesn't it, Simon? Um, it does. I mean, I, I don't think you can overestimate how important Jordan Henderson has been for Liverpool over a long period of time now. He, I think he found it, found it difficult in the early years of the captaincy, um, the adjustments, you know, replacing Steven Gerrard. And at the time, if, if anybody had said, you know, a captain replacing Gerrard would ultimately... Um, win some of the biggest trophies that Gerard won and more and lead the team into an unprecedented period of success in this century. I don't think many would have, many people would have believed yet. Obviously, Jordan has had better players around him, a better team, you know, a manager who's who's obviously achieved what he's achieved. So there is that context. But, you know, I, when you're spending any time in the company with people who either know the players or the players themselves that you know that their their respect for him isn't isn't fake you know that they, they he's the one who sets the standards behind the scenes really never never particularly happy um even after a good win um you know he's been very you know sort of the player that that that, that welcomes newcomers into the squad as well which is a sort of standard captaincy function that you'd expect but i just think he, he seems to be very well liked by by all the players um very well liked, very well respected. And then on the pitch, I mean, I, I've often thought that he's a much, much better player than people give him credit for. Um, I sort of touched on it in a piece last weekend that, you know, he, he sort of dictates the tempo really of how Liverpool approach the game. When he's at its best, it means that Liverpool are at their best as well. You know, being able to, to speed up the play, he's the one who's, who sets it. So, um, and it isn't, you know, it hasn't always been sort of spectacular. Well, it's very rarely been sort of spectacular actions on the pitch that have that have gained him the respect of the fan base. It's more being sort of the commitment and the the guidance that he gives to other players. Well, he, he did all the the, the donkey work, didn't he? Uh, to me, he always struck me as the prototypical. Klopp player, and when we look back at the Klopp era, we'll, we you know, we'll say, oh, you know, Trent and Andy Robertson. But it seemed to me that he was the cog that made it work. He was the one who filled the space when the you know when the fullbacks went forwards. He's the one who did the off the ball running. He's the one who made the team tick. That that really deserves praise, and a lot of people didn't see it because they're following the ball. But that that's one of the parts of his leadership, I think. Uh, I, I mean, James, who's who's going to provide one? That impetus and two the leadership. Yeah, it's a it's a good question, and I think I think that's where you've got to make the the difference between what you're losing now with Henderson the player and Henderson the leader. Because I think absolutely spot on. I think he's been criminally underrated by a lot of people over the years, and Liverpool wouldn't have won what they've won without him. Um, but at the age of thirty three, his best years are behind him. We saw that last season. Um, I think replacing him as a player is going to be a lot easier than trying to fill that leadership void, especially, let's not forget, Liverpool have lost their vice-captain as well this summer. You know, to lose Milner and Henderson, those are the two that effectively ruled the dressing room. Milner in his book talks about them having this good cop, bad cop trade-off that they almost flip roles on and off the pitch, where it's, you know, it's Henderson barking orders and, and dishing out bollockings when needed on the pitch. And then off it, it's Milner doing that and collecting fines and, dealing out reprimands for anyone who's late or 
wearing the wrong kit or anything like that. And it was Henderson arm round the shoulder seeking compromises. And so that does leave a big, big hole as a coaching staff. You know, you couldn't ask for two better model professionals in terms of how people lead their lives to set the example for everyone else around them. So yeah, you, you're now in a position where others need to step up and, and take on more responsibility. We're waiting to find out obviously who the new captain will be. You'd imagine it will be, you know, Virgil van Dijk is clearly in the box seat because, you know, he's the next in line. He was already one of the vice captains. He's captained the, the team when he's played in the preseason games so far. You know, there's other members of that leadership group that, that are still there with, you know, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who for me would be the next obvious contender. If you were looking for an alternative to to Van Dijk, I'd certainly have Trent Alexander-Arnold promoted to at least the vice-captaincy. Andy Robertson, captain of Scotland. Um, you know, you've got Alison Becker is on that leadership group. Then you've got you know, Salah, captain of Egypt, Zobersly. I know he's new to the club, so, you know, not easy to suddenly come in and start throwing your weight around, but he's the captain of Hungary. So, yeah, that's the bigger concern for me, that that leadership void rather than necessarily, you know, in terms of what you're missing, in terms of what Henderson had left in the tank as a, as a, in a top midfielder. Is there a positive to that, do you think, with Henderson and Milner? Because the more I think about it, it's like it does offer an opportunity for other players to step up, but then does it give a freshness to everything, not just on the pitch, but also, like you mentioned, on the training ground and sort of the intensity and the demands of them? Does it not give other players an opportunity to forge and shape that in their own way? And, you know, maybe that will benefit Liverpool because maybe Liverpool did just squeeze the last and best out of those players. Now's the opportunity for... Others like Van Dijk to really like, you know, settle into that, like I'm the leader here, because you can see that in the way he carries himself anyway. But imagine if he's, he knows he's club captain. I think that gives him just so much more. I'd say an extra 10%, but probably more because it's Virgil Van Dijk. I just feel like if he's the leader of Liverpool, he'll act like that even more than like Henderson or Milner or anyone else could because it is him. I think that it's just the t- the, the timing of it happening both in the same summer when they expected only one. You, usually you, you want a sort of a gradual change, don't you? And a, and a, and a sign off. I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing, the change. And it may have, may have happened within the next 12 months anyway. But it's just with it both happening at the same time, it leaves. You know, it, it, it means that other players are going to have to settle quickly at the same time into the new roles whilst the team's changing around them and they're going into the seasons, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I it's something that the club obviously must have been preparing for with, with, because they knew that Milner was going and he's gone already. But um, it's just that it comes back to the whole point, doesn't it, that they didn't expect Henderson to go. Let, 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 let's, let's also be try and be fair and say that there is the possibility that Henderson <laughs> may have quite fancied staying and was told that, you know, he can't reject that sort of money and it'd be a good time to leave, potentially. Possibly advised to go by the club uh, until that story is sort of, until that side of the story is clear, you know, in, t- in terms of all the conclusions that we reach. I think um, I think it's important that we do pretty quickly, to be fair. It, it's one of those things, isn't it? The it's just a rebuild that's going well was suddenly derailed when the Saudis intervened, you know, what, a month ago. Well, let's talk about that rebuild. James, I was more than happy with the signings. You know, McAllister's a brilliant signing. 
And you think to yourself, he's got Premier League experience, he can go into the team right away. You know, I, I think it's always more dangerous bringing someone in from um, the Bundesliga. But, you know, you, you br- brought in, again, a player who looks if he's got all the tools. And, and from that perspective, everything appeared to be going great. Yep, yep, <laughs> you're right. The, that was... Um... It feels like a long time ago now, even though it wasn't that that was the that was the kind of feeling at Liverpool was that you know in very good shape going back for the start of preseason with with getting business done early. You know it helped the fact that both those deals they did involved triggering release clauses, which you know it just takes out of the equation really. You know the messy negotiations and the constant back and forth, and um, you know I think it it shows as well the the pulling power of the club despite being outside of the Champions League this season, the fact that both players needed very little convincing. And I think I'm, I'm really excited about both of them. I think I've seen obviously a lot more of McAllister than, than Zobber's lie, but, but yeah, they, they look, they look to me like they give Liverpool what was so painfully absent for most of last season in terms of energy, creativity, um, in that, in that midfield department and just more dynamism. And I think, they're both versatile as well that we know Klopp loves that in you know multifunctional players and yeah it's just going to be intriguing now to see what else they do because you know the these Henderson and and Fabino deals have dragged on a lot longer than anyone anticipated and that makes it more disruptive because until they're done and 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 gone you know I I, I think that's why there's been this kind of hiatus in terms of Liverpool doing anything else because you know the 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 word was a few weeks ago that they might bring in a third midfielder, but probably not, you know, unless someone left. And now, you know, we're waiting to see what happens with Fabino um, in terms of those, you know, his move to Itiad being dragged out and out. So will it be one or two more they need in midfield? You know, there's a lot of question marks. You know, we've seen Trent in the preseason game so far play, you know, it, not the hybrid role, but essentially the holding midfield role with, with Connor Bradley used it as the kind of, inverted fullback kind of stepping into midfield when he's when he's in possession so you know do, do you you know there's almost an argument for do you go and buy one midfielder and then go and buy a senior right back if if you now class Trent as 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 um you know solely a midfielder so and and the other concern for me is centre half because yes it was only a a, a pre-season friendly at the end of an intensive German training camp when they've had two, three sessions every single day. But um, anyone who watched the game on Monday would see that, you know, again, the drop-off when, you know, Van Dijk and Canate are a great combination. But, you know, there, there is too big a gap for me when, you know, down to, to Matip and, and Gomez. And I, I still think they need to bring in another centre-half. It's created so much uncertainty, hasn't it, Kiva? Where do they go next? No, I mean, it seems to me if they play Trent in deep in the midfield, it's a waste. Yeah, I think pre-season's a good time to test anything else, isn't it? And whether we will see Trent Alexander-Arnold as Liverpool's number six next season still remains to be seen. Would it shock anyone if, you know, on the opening day against Chelsea, he's he's at right back? Like, it wouldn't shock me at all. So, you know, as much as things are being trialled now and there's a lot of talk around it, it's going to be interesting to sort of see what where Liverpool shape up come that first game of the season. And I think that's where you mentioned the uncertainty. There is so much of it now. And I think obviously Henderson, Fabinho, the deals and whether they happen or not have been sort of 
just throwing the club into that during a time of, you know, when they should be coming together and, you know, by the sounds have had a good trip to Germany and off to Singapore next. And it seems like, you know, their preparations are, you know, well underway. But again, there's still holes and questions that need to be asked and players that potentially need to join the club. And I think that's where you do think, you know, after the first two signings of the summer and everything was kind of going smoothly, you did wonder when something would happen that would maybe throw a bit of chaos into it. And, you know, obviously now Liverpool have been plunged into that and it's going to be interesting to see how they sort of pick the way out of it and and what happens and whether they can, you know, for the whole of last season, we were like, you know, we'd kind of sort of drew a line in the sand, hadn't we? And, And crossed out any hopes of anything other than faint hopes of Champions League. And then going into next season, now I don't even know what a fan's actually hoping for at the minute because it's I, I don't know if this is a team that can potentially challenge for Premier League title, for example, because we're still in that kind of like phase where you don't really know what to expect of them yet. And I think that's fair given, you know, it is pre-season, but you'd like to have those questions. You'd like to have more answers to those questions than, you know, fans currently feel like they maybe do right now. Simon, it feels to me they're still a little way off a top four challenge, never mind a title challenge. How important do you think it is if if they do bring in midfields? And we've seen all the names that have been thrown about. How important do you think it is that anyone coming in has Premier League experience? I think it is important. Um, I do agree with the idea that there's, there's a greater chance of McAllister hitting the ground running than... It's a bobsleigh. I think I've said that right. I'm going to get it wrong consistently, I think, over the course of the season. I mean, you think about it in the past when, when Klopp's teams have done well. Even Fabinho took a while to adjust to not just the, the playing expectations, but the training expectations. It was of a much more intense level than he was used to. I can remember, his, I think it was first, right in saying his, his debut was at Tranmere Rovers at Prenton Park. And I um, can vividly remember Klopp pushing him, actually screaming at him, telling him to push much higher up the pitch than he was used to when he played at Monaco, when it was more of a two and he'd sit deeper. So there's all this to sort of get through, really. I think particularly if, if, if you've played in the Premier League, first of all, you're going to be more used to playing Premier League football and the challenges that that brings. And you're going to be more used to living in the country that you're in. So I think there is definitely an advantage. Uh, I think if you're bringing players in from, from other countries who don't have Premier League experience it, you know there's there's more that can go wrong unless you're buying that sort of guaranteed quality you know some players do possess yeah. that so you know there, there's a lot that sort of as Kiva sort of said there there's a lot that needs to sort itself out quite quickly for Liverpool to put themselves in a position whereby you know they, they, they can start winning games against you know good quality opposition that can happen, of course. Sometimes, you know, you get three or four players come in and to a team and it just clicks. You know, there's a bit of luck involved in football sometimes. But what, what, what has happened over the last couple of weeks and months? I would say that in normal circumstances, Liverpool were actually control, in control of what was going on. Getting potentially 12 million for Jordan Henderson as much as 40 million for Fabinho is great business for, for, you know, let's not forget the clubs are happy to do deals with Saudi Arabia. Despite all the campaigns that they run, uh, 
But you know, it's 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 good. It would be good business for Liverpool uh, because they're earning money on players who are at the back end, coming towards the back end of the careers, where they'd be able to reinvest. The problem is, it's it's come at a time where they're not they're not in in control of the market basically, so they're having to react to the market, and it all ties into what I was saying. I think you know a couple of weeks ago when we did the last pod about how you know there's a lot of players, you know, four players left the club in in um, last you know at the end of last season, which they got no money mm. for. You know, if I was FSG, somebody at FSG, I would be asking serious questions as to why. You know, there'd be a debate to be had about that. But I think that the money is good, and but the money is only good if you reinvest it properly. That's the age-old thing. And then there's the other question mark. They've got a guy running the uh, sort of the, the the transfer negotiations, who is essentially a stopgap. There's just there's just so much really. There's so many moving parts here. It doesn't feel like a settled start to Liverpool season already. They need a lot to to go their way in a short space of time to, to set the team up for a successful season, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, James, that I always got the sense that Klopp thrives on a bit of chaos. But there's a bit too much chaos, isn't it? I, it? Who would you put in the frame with all the names that bandies around to come in? I, I still think Lavia, Romeo Lavia at Southampton is probably the most likely in terms of you know the, the feedback earlier on in the summer was just that the that they felt that the asking price from Southampton was too big at, at fifty million pounds, which which I I would probably agree with to be honest. I think for someone who's only got I think it's thirty five, thirty six senior appearances in his in his career, you know, really talented but raw. The the only I think the only concern with that is if if you're talking about you know if if the Fabino deal does go through and obviously it hasn't as we sit sit here at the moment, then you know that that's a big ask to expect him to just go straight into that team and start at Stamford Bridge in less than three weeks' time, which is essentially what what Liverpool need because at the moment, you know, Stefan Bersetic is 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 still on the comeback trail himself, having missed the back end of last season through injury. You know, who else would play in that number six role? It would probably have to be Trent, wouldn't it? And then you'd need to play someone else at right back if you don't bring in a, a specialist number six. So yeah, they've looked at. You know a whole host of different names. You know Amrabat, Decorey, Calvin Phillips even was has been touted. But yeah, I think it they they do really like Lavia. I think I think the issue is just can they get him at an acceptable fee, and do they think he is ready enough to go straight in, which is what essentially Liverpool need. Because you know again, rewind three or four weeks, and the talk was we we might buy a number six who we can gradually ease in who would potentially be Fabino's long-term successor. But of course, those have shifted. And yeah, they certainly, I don't think Klopp envisaged finding himself in this position. You know, when you think they're, they're off to Singapore in, on, on Thursday, um, the only, the only good thing to be said for pre-season so far really is the fact they've managed to avoid fresh injuries. I know Zobber's like missed the second friendly turning his ankle in training, but that was only a very minor issue. They came through the second game on Monday without any any problems, but yeah, there's a lot of work to be done. Kiva, do the games actually matter in pre-season? Or do they just get in the way of everything else? No, not at all. I think they're just more for, I mean, fans get back on the trail, don't they? Watching players and um, it's more about fitness, you can tell that. Like, It's weird, isn't it, pre-season? Because remember last season when obviously Darwin Nunes was like, missing every shot he had and then scoring like a hat-trick or something, wasn't it, Mad? And I think Kai Havertz has maybe had that treatment for um, moving, obviously, to Arsenal. And then he scored in pre-season. And it's just pre-season feels like it's just like 
fest for social media trolling more than anything now or like you know Liverpool drew 4-4 with a team that you've never heard of or whatever it's like so I'm kind of over it in a way um, it is nice to see some of the younger players that you've you know watched at the academy get their opportunities Lewis Kumas being one of them among many um, but for me it's been all about the Women's World Cup to be honest so I've kind of you know it's been nice to kind of I'm going to say ignore Liverpool, but, you know, just keep them at arm's length, which isn't a bad thing at the minute, I wouldn't say. And the Women's World Cup so far has been pretty phenomenal. So if you haven't tuned in already, get a, get a game on. It's a nice way to wake up, just football on your telly. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I mean, pre-season for me, I, I used to love going to pre-season games. I'll be honest, back in the 80s. But like... I wasn't actually to watch any football. What was to go to a foreign city, drink foreign beer and eat foreign food? But given the chaos, Simon, how how can Klopp try and get some coherence in you know, a period like this? Well, I think the, uh, the trip to Singapore comes at the wrong time. I mean, it, Klopp hasn't made it a secret that he, he sort of finds the... The, the more commercial side of pre-season and irritation that he has to put up with. There's only one reason why they're flying to the other side of the world for a couple of friendly matches, you know, against teams that they're largely familiar with, and that's because of money. So they've already been through the whole sort of, what Klopp would say is his time, you know, um, where, you know, drilling the players and getting them fit. That's already been and gone. They're now going into a period where they're trying to get players in whilst sort of fulfilling contractual obligations of uh, commercial pursuits. So, yeah, it's, it's it's definitely definitely not ideal. I'd say at the moment it's not great great preparation from the club. Again, you know that you can't control all the moving parts of football, can you? Sometimes there's who would have said six months ago that Saudi suddenly would sign all these players up and. One of them would be Jordan Henderson on supposedly £700,000 a week. I mean, you can't control that, can you? I guess. But it just it just certainly puts, I would say, Liverpool on the back foot. James, you're off to Singapore. and Obviously, that's a big part of your pre-season, getting ready for it. Um, well, one, you're looking forward to it. And two, do you, do you agree with Simon's analysis? And, you know, are you concerned that this late on in the summer that the pieces aren't in place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think you have to frame it in the fact that, you know, this is upheaval that no one could have planned for. It's. I don't think it's, I don't think you could blame it on kind of bad planning or preparation um, because of this, the Saudi interest coming out of nowhere and the players wanting to move. But yeah, it's, it has to be a worry. As, as Simon said, we've seen it time and time again that players have needed time to adjust to the demands that Klopp expects for them you know, physically and tactically, I'd say. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting in Singapore because I think Klopp, Klopp said on Monday that, um, you know, that, that's probably it in terms of the, the, the he, he stuck to the, the plan on Monday of doing a t- different team in each half. And I think 25 players were involved altogether. I think, I think in Singapore, we'll see it start to his, his kind of plans solidifying a bit, a bit clearer, really, in terms of starting 11s. And I think we'll see people playing. 60, 70 minutes and probably fewer opportunities for a lot of the academy youngsters who have had a fantastic experience over in, in Germany. So, um, so yeah, there's certainly issues to address. I'd say on the positive side, you know, Liverpool 
have, have played some great stuff attacking wise. You know, it's, there's, there's clearly things to, that need, need sorting defensively. And as we said, personnel in midfield. Um, but, you know, Darwin Nunes, you know, looked incredibly sharp on Monday. And, and of course, the caveat is the, the standard of the opposition, you know, a second tier German team. It'd be stupid to read too much into it. But, you know, physically looked good. You know, he, he looked a lot more composed in front of goal as well. Scored two, only a good save at the death, denied him a hat-trick and a late winner. His link-up play with Salah was was really noticeable as well in terms of the understanding growing between them. Uh, and Luis Diaz, who I think we all would accept he was a bit of a pale shadow of his former self when he came back from injury at the back end of last season. And I, mean, I think everyone knew that, you know, you've got to cut him some slack. He needs a proper preseason under his belt. And I think there's really promising signs of of him getting back to where he was at as well, because he, he scored a wonderful goal on Monday and and was a real thorn in the, in their side. So um, yeah, and, you know, Gagpo as well looks looks decent. I mean, going forward, there's a lot to admire, but it's it's behind that front line where Klopp's got his work cut out preparing Liverpool for that new Premier League season. Well, to finish off, let's put you all on the spot. At this stage, and it is still July. So there's still a fair way to go. Come on, Kiva. Where are they finishing at the end of the season? <laughs> Fifth again. Fifth. Simon? I think they'll make top four, but just... James? Second. Second? Oh, well, let's finish on that optimistic note. I fear I side more with Kiva than you, James. But there's, I say there's plenty of time to go. And let's hope that they get things sorted. That's all from Walk On, your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Thanks to James, Kiefer and Simon, and you for listening. For the coming season, we'll be with you weekly with one episode a week on Wednesday. In the meantime, remember to get involved in the Walk On podcast group on Facebook. You can email us at walk-on at theathletic.com. We'll see you next week. The Athletic.